Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. So glad you all are here this morning. Um, Let's go to Holy Scripture. Uh, Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 12, in the first chapter, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, a welcome to everyone. Good morning. And a welcome to all of those who are watching us online. You know, this morning is a special morning, and I thought that maybe we'd use this morning to get to know each other a little bit better. So we're going to take a poll of sorts, and so I'm going to, it's, I'm going to need some help here. So could you all, all please stand up? We're going to, this is a safe place, okay? This is a safe place. We're going to get to know each other. I have a couple questions. If this does not resemble you, you can sit down. If it does resemble you, please remain standing. Okay, first off, I'm just curious, who here makes your bed most mornings? That's you, stay standing. If not you, go ahead and have a seat. Okay, cool, 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 cool. All right, y'all get back up. Here we go, round two. Who here sits down? We're going to get some quad workout, by the way, people. Okay, next one. Who sits down and eats breakfast at least six days a week? If you sit down and eat breakfast six days a week, stay standing. It's a rarity. Okay. Everyone get back up. Who here chews gum most days? You are chewing gum most days. Wow. You guys remember the how your mom would have like a, a torn apart half piece of gum that she would offer you in her purse. Remember that? Yeah, remember that. So these are our gum chewers. Very, so glad that you guys are here. Okay, everyone stand back up. Remain standing if you read a book before you go to bed. All right. I feel like half the crew is still trying to figure out if I should stand or sit right now. <laughs> All right. Okay, everyone back up. We only have a couple more, don't worry. Who here stretches uh, at least once a day? If you remain standing, if you stretch at least once a day. Where are my people with the lower lumbar issues? Where are you all at? Okay, everyone back up. Okay, who here, when you pull some bread out of your loaf bag, you, instead of using your twist tie, you do the whole spin and then tuck underneath uh, technique. Who here does that? Remain standing. Where, where are my people? Okay, good, good. Get, you got, y'all just throw away the twist eye the first. Okay, last one. Who here goes to a coffee shop at least three times a week? Stay standing. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know you do. It makes financial sense, guys. It's an investment. It makes financial sense. All right, all you have a, sit, have a seat. You know, much of these decisions are not based on, like, volition. It's not like we wake up and go, you know, today I'm going to make my bed. These decisions are driven mostly by what? Habit. We just do these things. 
Uh, professor, researcher, and author Wendy Wood, she wrote a well-known book about the power of habits. And one of the things that she discovered in her research was that 40 to 45% of the decisions that we make throughout our day are done through habit. They're instinctual. They aren't like actual decisions like we think of decisions. They are just based on habit. So this is why you drive home after a meeting or after an event, and you are up in your head the whole drive home, and you find yourself in your driveway, and you're like, how did I get here? (laughs) Or maybe you pull out your phone, you dial in your code to unlock your phone, you open up an app, and you realize, why did I want to open this up? Maybe you just had that pang of boredom or loneliness, and all of a sudden, here's my phone here in front of me. Or this happened to me recently. I was jogging down the stairs, and I was thinking to myself, man, this is, I'm going really fast. And then all of a sudden, when I went from habit up into my head, I had to slow down because I was unsure if I could actually keep up the pace. So much of our days um, are, are decisions that we aren't rationally made. They're habitually performed. And what makes this even more powerful and potentially kind of dangerous is that many of us don't even know that we have these habits. They're just undetected, but they're a part of us. They're in us, and they're so very powerful. Now, this presents a problem for us, and because it's a special day, I decided to use, um, you know, props for you guys because you guys deserve it. So um, the problem for us is oftentimes we have a dream, an aspiration, something that we wish that we could knock down, something that we wish we could accomplish or achieve, and maybe it's a goal like we want to exercise or we want to be a morning person, we want to stop smoking, we want to read 12 books in a year. Maybe we have these goals, but what takes the very first step is that we have like a little bit of willpower, right? And this little Jenga piece is against this huge thing. And so we throw our desires at it and it does absolutely nothing. Our willpower seems to be so very, uh, very small in comparison to some of these barriers that we have in our life, these these roadblocks. Um, So for us, What do we do to be able to create change in our life? Because the will to change can only do so very much. What we're talking about here is not just some self-improvement lesson. This is not just another like TED Talk-ish kind of talk. This is actually a deeply spiritual matter because this block really is about transformation. It's about us growing and changing and transforming. And so this could be either shedding off parts parts of us that we know are holding us back from living fully, or it could also be parts of us that we'd always long to be, that which God has created us to be. But how do we do there? How do we break through this? So in addition to all the other goals or aspirations we could have, we could also add to that list, I've always wanted to be a person of prayer. I've always longed for this spiritual breakthrough to happen in my life. I know I'm in a cycle of sin and pain and destruction, and it seems like I can't get out of this vortex. I wish I could grow into being a person of deep hope or joy or contentment or compassion. I wish I could just get out of myself for once. And we we face this barrier in our life. We might long to change, but it seems as if there's a whole system that goes against us, a whole system 
that makes it hard for us to be able to be that person. And it seems like New Year's resolutions or altar call commitments can only go so far in creating that change. And oftentimes, we, if we throw enough of these, after, maybe if I go to this retreat or go to this talk, maybe then I'll be able to be that person. And after doing that long enough, then we begin to realize maybe this is just who I am. Just become resigned. This is me, just who I am. We can grow jaded, can grow doubtful, or we can just be people resigned to fear. But what we know is that God is a God who promises to make all things new. God is a God who promises to make all things new. So what is the what is the deal with the difference between who we want to be and the things that hold us back from that? Well, I think part of the problem is the way in which we think that we are going to change, and the church is definitely a part of this problem. We think that if we want to change, we have to change the way in which we think. Um, maybe the main strategy that we employ is maybe if I go to that Bible study or hear that sermon or go to that retreat or read that book, Maybe then I'll be a, a different person. But oftentimes we're left with the same issues but just another book on the bookshelf. So this is demonstrated for me perfectly in this PR campaign that was held some years back. California began to realize that people were not eating enough nutrition. And so they created a campaign called Five a Day. They began to tell people, they need to know, people need to know that you need to have five portions of fruit and vegetables a day. That was their big kick. So this was the 1990s, and they realized that those people who were polled, only 8% of them knew that they were supposed to eat five portions of fruits and vegetables a day. And so they began really concerned about this. So they created an ad campaign. They started targeting adults with commercials. Even kids had commercials to them. They even created a jingle. You all want to hear it? Okay, here we go. How effective is this? Yeah. Anybody heard this before? <laughs> okay, that's enough. That's enough. It goes on to asparaguses and this stuff like that. Um, so what they realized, they did this for five years. They had a five-year campaign for these five-a-day program. And what they realized is that it worked. It actually worked. So the population went from 8% of them knowing that they should have five portions a day, went all the way up to 35%. 35%, they now knew that they were supposed to eat five portions a day. Success, right? The goal was accomplished. Wrong. The goal was not to get people to know that they should have five portions a day, right? What was the goal? That they eat, right? So then they began to study not what they knew, but how they were acting. This is what they realized. Before the campaign, 11% of the population were eating five portions a day. After the campaign, anyone have any guess? 11%. <laughs> so the goal is not to change people's thinking, it was changing their action. What they realized is that people's food was deeply ingrained, not in thought, but in habit. So we are habituated to go down certain aisles in the grocery store, certain restaurants we eat, certain food that we find comforting. This is deeply a part of our habits. Yeah, five a day, yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so the, the truth of this point is changing people's lives has to be more than changing their thoughts. It does not carry near as much power as we might think or expect. So much of our lives are dictated by our habits. Habits win the day. Now, this is why going up and having this spiritual mountaintop experience can leave us so disappointed. Why? Because we go away and we have this aha moment in some sort of encounter with God. And I'm all about retreats and camps. I really am. I thought that's what, that's what I was going to do for a living. Um, I'm all about that. But what happens is when they have this mountaintop experience, they go down from the mountain and they go back into their lives that are a system of habits that are sometimes going against the realization that they experienced. And so all the habits are waiting for them in their life. We might find that if we change people's beliefs, their lives will thus change. And what we actually see is that what changes people's lives are the lifestyles that they have. So the work of the church and the calling that Christ has in our lives is not merely for us to teach good Christian concepts or theology, a terminology of verses, of understanding the Bible. All those things are important. But the goal of a life with Christ is a changed life, a transformed life. Or as we studied in Galatians, the only thing that counts is a new creation. This is what truly matters. And so what I'm talking about here is the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Oftentimes the church can really focus on orthodoxy, which is teaching right belief, having the right theology, the system or framework of understanding God in the world that is important. But what we find that perhaps is even more important is orthopraxy. How do we practice a life with Jesus? How do we actually take these thoughts and beliefs and have them funnel into our lives to actually make a difference there? What I believe is the church has focused so much on orthodoxy that we have left orthopraxy in the rearview mirror. But that doesn't have to be the case. Even scripture points us to this. In James 1, we find uh, this, this uh, imploring word. Do not merely listen to the word, listen to the sermon, listen to the study, and so deceive yourself. It's deception to think that thoughts are enough. Studying is enough. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. When we don't have a life centered in orthopraxy and us practicing the way of Jesus, we will be like people who have a sense of amnesia. We will forget who we are. We will forget our identity. And just like five a day, <laughs> we might know what the standard is, but it is so far from our life. So what's our hope? What's our hope in this? What's our hope against these large blocks that seem to be uh, before us, between the distance between who we are and who we want to become? Are we just a slave to the habits that we have in our lives? So what the hope is for me, we actually find in Paul's words in these two verses in Romans. I think they're so powerful and they're so instructive for us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing 
to God. This is your true and proper worship. Transformation begins with what? In view of God's mercy. Every bit of transformation that we can experience of our life does not come from striving or or more effort or a life hack. It becomes first because we are in view of God's mercy. We see God's mercy and grace made available to us in Jesus. We actually see that God has a longing to give us mercy against the strongholds of our life, that God longs for all of the barriers in our life to be made low, and God wants to give us that mercy. And because of that mercy, because God is a God who is full of mercy, then we are prompted then to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That idea of a living sacrifice would have been comical for the first generation who read this. Why? Sacrifices don't live. They are offered. The priest takes them. It's bloody. It's gross. So grateful that we don't do that, especially as the pastor. I'm so grateful that we don't do that anymore. (laughs) But this idea of a living sacrifice is almost comical because what are we supposed to do? Our lives are to be a living sacrifice. If we want to experience transformation, don't just go to the temple when you mess up and make an offering. Instead, offer your lives as a living offering to God not just a religion of sin management, but a surrender to a God who loves you and is for you. So we offer all of our willpower, all of our dreams, all of our desires, and we offer them to God. That idea of a living sacrifice seems intimidating. Uh, Old pastor Tony Campolo said, the problem with living sacrifices is that they have a tendency to jump off the altar. And I think it's true, like we just jump off the altar of our lives. We want to make our lives ourselves. We want to be in the steering wheel. But what we find is if we remember that God is a God of mercy, then we offer ourselves believing that God is not just some jealous God who wants from us, but God is a God of love who wants for us. He wants us to experience a life to the fullest. He wants us to be renewed. He wants us to experience love and mercy. And so we offer our full selves to God in view of God's mercy. And this is what Paul continues to say in verse two. I believe this is so powerful. Then do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a pattern of this world. And and even for our conversation this morning, we could say there is a system of habits. And there there is a force to, to create in us other habits too. These conscious or unconscious habits that dictate our day. These are the patterns that we have a tendency to conform to. And you know this, the patterns of how we start our day or end our day, the patterns of our relationships, our addictive use to technology, the patterns of our thought life. These patterns have such power and influence on our lives. The the pace in which we keep, uh, the pattern of consumerism that's just rampant. It's just the water we live in, swim in. It's the, the, the pattern uh, of the social media and the other media that we take in that fuels bitterness and it profits off of rage and division. These are all habits and patterns around us, and they are around us for us to conform into, to be drawn into, to be habituate to. And just like a child in an ocean floating on top of a rip current our days have a tendency to be flowing upon the patterns of this world. And Paul here in Romans 
12.2 says, there's two options, two options here. You can either conform or you can be transformed. It's like not a passive thing. You're either conforming or you can be transformed. Either float along with the current of conformity or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how does this transforming power, this renewing power take place? I think this, what we've just read gives us a framework for understanding it. First, we have to have a true view of God's mercy, like a real view of God's mercy, nothing that we have earned, but a view of God's love and mercy present for us. Second, we offer ourselves in response. We lay down our lives to the way of Christ. Then three, we consider how we have conformed to unhealthy patterns. We pray for a deeper awareness. God, make me aware of the patterns that are part of my life, patterns that are holding me back. And then fourth and finally, we pattern or habituate our lives in Jesus. If we want the life that Christ promises, we need to begin following his lifestyle. Jesus did not merely come to teach us good things. Jesus came to show us how to live. Jesus came not only to give us orthodoxy, but to show us orthopraxy, to display it. And Jesus had many habits. If you were to read the Gospels, you see Jesus was a habituated person. He had the habits of keeping deep relationships with a few people. Jesus had the habit of stealing away time to be with his Father in, in solitude and silence. Jesus knew the Scriptures. He had meditated upon the Scriptures. He had the habit of being in God's Word. Jesus had the habit of seeing those who were suffering on the margins and having attention to them, drawing close to them. That was a habit we see in the life of Jesus. And all of what we, the ministry that we see flowing from Jesus' life was a life that had habits rooted in God's love and mercy. Some people could call these spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, but these spiritual practices are just habits. They're just habits that we keep in our life. But when our lives are formed, not in conformity to the patterns of this world, but upon the habits that Jesus demonstrated, something profound happens. Paul said it. Our minds become new. Our minds are renewed. When we used to grab for that phone when we felt alone or lonely, when we're bored, slowly we start being comfortable in silence and we turn to God instead. Instead of being preoccupied with our own agenda, we begin to listen to people, like just be with people, listen to them, notice their pain, notice their intent. We become present people. And the amazing thing is, as we do this, as the habits take root in our lives, our minds change, they're renewed. And what's crazy for me is, this ancient piece of scripture like 2,000 years ago is now being verified by what we know in science. Like our minds literally can be made new. There's a renewing possibility when habits are formed in our, in our lives, pathways are released and strengthened and created in our minds. People call it neuroplasticity, but Paul would use the words, the renewing of our minds. Actions become habits, and these habits literally change our minds and how we think. 
Rather than falling prey to the patterns and habits that hold us back from the good life, our minds can be made new. And just in, instead of just throwing these small pieces at this block, this is the profound thing that happens, is by the mercy and grace of God, we put this one single block down, and then the next day we put another, and then another, and as that grows, something beautiful happens as we are transformed. This block doesn't look that big after we have been habituated in the life of Jesus. And these barriers that seemed impossible by God's grace easily can be overcome. The reality is that we're not just talking about the power of habits, we're talking about how God's spirit meets us and empowers us. How God's grace is waiting to partner with us. Dallas Willard, uh, he talked about how God will not uh, force this change. This is the quote that he said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. You're, you can't earn God's grace. But what he's saying is, it's not opposed to effort. Earning it is an attitude, effort is an action. What, what Dallas Willard was saying is that as we move towards freedom, God's grace is released upon us, upon our lives, and we will be met grace upon grace, and transformation that originates in God's grace will will be given to us as we partner with God in the effort of making our lives new again. So friends, this, this morning's message is not just another sermon. Uh, the vine is actually entering into a new chapter of our church's life. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to share uh, a plan for who we are and how we believe God is gonna meet us in being formed and inviting uh, people to follow Jesus with us. We're gonna unveil eight different habits that we seek to embody as a church. We're gonna spend our time exploring them and consider how God could be inviting each of us into our own uh, journey of transformation. Not only that, but we're also going, we're changing our small groups. We used to have small groups that were based on um, kind of debriefing the sermon and the message, uh, which is hard sometimes when it's a subpar sermon, but the groups still did it. They still did it. Uh, instead of, Instead of doing the orthopraxy work, or orthodoxy work, we're gonna transform our small groups to be really about studying how can we practically follow Jesus? Like how can we practice the way of following Jesus in my own personal life, and then for us to come back together as a small group and de debrief, what did you experience? How, how, did, how was that experience for you? We're gonna begin having our small groups walk through orthopraxy together. But today, I'd like to end just by asking a question, and that is, do you believe that you can actually change? Like, do you believe that, that your life is not stuck? Your life is not fixed? Do you believe that God's mercy has the power to transform you? Another way to ask it is, what is that block for you? What is that thing that's felt impossible for you to move past and move through? What has tripped you up for far too long? What is the breakthrough that you've longed for, prayed for, wished for, maybe gave up on? I just want to say that God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but God has given you a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline, that God longs to meet with you right here, right now, with as small as a block as you might have in your will. God's grace longs to meet with you 
pattern your life with Jesus. Open yourself up to Christ's renewing power and allow God to do what only God can do.